I'm Bernice, a young woman, a wife, a mother to two beautiful babies, a doula, and a Bible teacher who is rediscovering what it means to live a life with Christ. And this is my podcast. This podcast exists to celebrate the journey of discovery and learning and to share the stories of those who we can all be learning from. Thanks for joining me. Today we'll be hearing from my friend Inga Miller as she shares her experiences as a black woman married to a white man in rural conservative Ohio. In light of everything going on, I really wanted to have Inga come onto the podcast as I felt strongly that her voice was one I wanted to share with you. I'm so thankful she was willing to come and share a part of her story with us, and I know that you'll appreciate it. So without further ado, let's lean in and hear from my friend, Inga. How are you? You, there's a lot going on right now (laughs) because, so last night we had the prayer vigil. Yeah, yeah. How did that feel for you? What was that experience like for you? So it was really good, <laughs> but it was also really sad, which mm-hmm. was weird. I didn't think that it would make me so sad, but I was so happy at the same time. Um, I was looking around at like all the people that were there and mostly like the people from our church community and the people from other church communities that I didn't even know. And I remember just thinking like, I mean, like retrospectively, if you like step back and maybe compare the numbers to like a church or mm-hmm. like a school, it might be a small number. For me, I was like, I didn't even think this many people cared. Yeah. And that, like, did a lot for me because I'm coming up against what I feel like is so much pushback in, like, between my in-laws and just, like, people that we know, people that have seen me grow up and just are, like, constantly sending me these videos, these links that are, like, this is why black people are actually struggling. It's not for the reasons that you say, like situations like that to me that just screams like I don't really care about what you think or feel or how you're hurting I just want you to know what I think and why I think it's right yeah and so it was really interesting to see everybody gather and like pray and like like I don't know step in on behalf of black people I mean I'm a black person but also like like in front of God like towards Mm -hmm. God like petitioning God to make change and to make change within us also I think that was really (laughs) <laughs> because it can get really depressing real fast. Yeah. And I can just be like, well, it's just me and my husband against the world. Yeah. And that's how it feels. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess, Inga, can you maybe like introduce yourself a little bit? Because um, <laughs> you mentioned a couple of things. So you didn't really grow up in Ohio. Where did you grow up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in Michigan, West mm-hmm. Michigan, like Grand Rapids area. So Inga... Tell us a little bit about yourself and Matt, I guess. Like, how did you guys meet? How did you end up in Ohio? Wild. Um, So I'm originally from Kenya, born in Kenya, moved to Michigan when I was like three years old. I always kind of get that wrong because I'm real bad with numbers, but (laughs) I was around three years old, small enough to be carried, but I could have walked. I was just really chubby. Um... And my family's kind of lived there ever since. And when I graduated high school in 2016, that fall, I came to Off the Wall Ministries in New Philadelphia. And on my first day of my first year, I laid eyes on my now husband. (laughs) And that was when we met. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, your husband lived with the man who is now my husband. (laughs) Oh, yep. And I'm pretty sure that I remember that Matt made, like, Four pounds of spaghetti. A hundred percent. So much spaghetti. Like way more than any of us can actually eat. Yeah. (laughs) So you met Matt in 2016. Mm -hmm. 
And Off the Wall is a discipleship ministry that all of us have been through. So it's kind of like a Bible teaching, leadership development, character building program. Um, And how old Mm -hmm. were you when you came to Off the Wall? I had just turned 18 that June before, so I was like fresh. I'm just a little baby. Yeah, basically. (laughs) I'm still pretty fresh, but... How old are you, Inga? I'm 21. I'll be like 22 in like a week. (gasps) Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm only 24, so I'm also just a baby. (laughs) Eli just had a birthday, and he's 26, so he's like old now. Wow. To me, he feels old. He was like 20 when we started dating, I think. Wow. I'm not sure. It's been a while. Maybe he was 21. No, I think he was 20. That it is wild. It was close to his birthday. Oh. Yeah. But. Like grown so much. Oh, he has. Wow. Yeah. That's. We all have. I mean, yeah. I think that like that you have true. since you yes. moved here. Matt for sure has. Oh my goodness. Like I love your husband. Not he's in a weird awesome. way. No, he's But he's, he's one awesome. of the first people that I met when I moved here. Mm. And he's just so kind. Yes. He's like got the, yes. such a gentle spirit. And I love him. So much. Like, he's nicer than I am. Like, I don't think people really know. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, you're really nice. I'm like, no, he's actually way more compassionate and way more patient and way more gentle than I am (laughs) with people. Yeah. So, So, like, tell me a little bit about, like, you and Matt. So, Matt is formerly Amish. Oh, yes. And you are Kenyan-American. Oh, yes. Basically... (laughs) To, do they feel like opposite cultures that you guys are coming just, to each other from? It's just such opposing, yeah. especially the in the the aesthetics of it, the social norms of it. Um, there are parts where Amish and Kenyan culture really align in terms of how long churches, <laughs> um, <laughs> how uh, conservative women are kind of expected to dress. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you're in the church setting, have your knees covered. Don't have too much of your shoulders and your chest exposed, or like the African nuns will come cover you, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not great. Been there, um, but also in terms of like, uh, I don't know how. There are some things that just kind of just are, and there's mm-hmm. not really a reason why for them yeah. most of the time. So like they are heavily dependent on tradition. Yes, and yes. passing these traditions down yes. and like encapsulating them and yes. like. They go on and on and on. Um, but in most parts, <laughs> in the social structures and the aesthetics, just so opposing each other. Sometimes mm-hmm. I was like, how is this ever going to work? Because we were friends first. So we were friends yeah. for like a good six months. Um, and I'd actually met his parents and his siblings and his nieces and nephews. Um, me and two other of my friends from off the wall. We went and we got horse and buggy rides because... That's what you do when you know someone Amish. You go Listen, get a horse and buggy ride. I know your husband. Listen. I know lots of Amish people, and I have not had a horse and buggy ride in the six or seven years that I've lived here. It's not because I don't love horses. Everyone knows that I love them. What? Last night, my son ran, like, away from me to a horse that was a clear quarter mile away. <laughs> He just saw it, screamed, and ran. So we love horses. We have not gotten horse and buggy rides yet. Wow. So if you're listening to this and you want to hook us up, we will say yes. <laughs> yes, please. So I you fell that. in love with Matt because of horse and buggy rides. Obviously, it must have been that. Because I was like, okay. Because I had pretty set in my mind when I moved to Ohio. Like I was like, hey, God, 
no boys, none mm-hmm. of this. I didn't come here for a man. Listen. I came here to study oh, the Bible. See? I and like, go home. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> nine months in, nine months out, like a well-timed pregnancy. I am not going to stay here <laughs> any longer than that. And I was just like so hardcore committed. So I remember like when I met Matt, and he's such like a like a genuine person, you know? And I remember thinking like, okay, but what's wrong with him? <laughs> so like deep down, I'm like, mm. he's too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um but yeah, I'd met his parents when we were still friends, and so I had lots of crazy hair back in the day. I mean, I probably still will. I shouldn't even say back in the day. But I had blue hair at that time. Um, I think I'd just gotten my nose pierced, like, and everything was kind of sunshine and roses because it was like, well, this is just Matt's family. Yeah. It's not like I'm trying to get them to be my family. They yes. don't have to like me. Yeah. I can be myself. Yeah. No pressure. You're like, well, they're just friends, you know? It's whatever. No big yeah. deal. And then you married him. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and you were there for that part. I was. It was a blast. <laughs> it was wild. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, he was born and raised here in Amish country. Um, he got a passport for the, his first passport when we were dating. Like, he'd never really left Yeah. Left much of the country. Like, he'd gone on, like, maybe some mission trips, like... I think within the United States, but not really like yeah. really traveled. Like, right. He hadn't been exposed to a lot of different cultures for yeah. sure. Yeah. Because even if you're in the United States, like mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not a homogenous culture, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the circles that the evangelical church travels in tend to be similar wherever yeah. you land. This is 100% correct. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just. A wild, interesting ride. Uh, Definitely, as soon as we started dating, that's when things got more difficult (laughs) and just more complicated and us really taking a step back and looking at our cultures and being like, oh, these are very different. Yeah. We have very different views on how men and women should be and what Christianity looks like and what the staple family idea kind of looks like, you know, like situations like those. So we kind of talked about how you are a Kenyan-American woman. Married to an Amish man. Mm-hmm. We live in a really conservative community. Um, you are married into an Amish family. Mm-hmm. The churches around here are all very conservative. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that are, quote unquote, more liberal are still very conservative. Yep. And... I don't know. What has kind of your experience been living in this community, like mm. dating and marrying a white man in this community? <laughs> I, I think that a lot of times I hear people say that what they love about living here is that it feels like the world 50 years ago. That is what I hear a lot of, you know, of people who are my parents' age say. But then I think of the world 50 years ago... Oh, and it might have been fine for, like, a white girl like me, but the world yeah. 50 years ago for a black woman like you was not easily navigated. Yep. So, I guess, what has been your experience here? I think it's been interesting because I feel like I'm not really a person that would fit into a lot of the bubbles and molds I feel like they are for women in general in this area. Um, kind of like... There are really specific roles you are supposed to fill and not go outside of those. Like, you should be at home, and you should be doing this, this, that, and the other thing. And all these things are your responsibility. Just Um, because you are a woman. So, like, around here, it's very 
uh, it's not even culturally accepted. It's almost culturally mandated yes. that women stay at home with the kids, mm-hmm. that women cook all the meals. Mm-hmm. This is for sure true in the Amish community. Yes. But there's mm-hmm. so much influence in the English community mm-hmm. that there is a lot of an expectation that the women are not going to have a ton of outside the home work. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand that because I don't mm-hmm. fit into that bubble either. Yep. But yep. Bubble yeah, breakers. so you, yes, we are the bubble breakers. <laughs> So you already knew that that wasn't a mold that you were going to fit into. Yeah. Um, so I think I've actually just been reflecting on this a lot recently, but I think in the beginning, my first coping mechanism was just to try to blend in, to kind of shrink, you know, mm, yeah. to try and make myself small, to fit into these spaces where I saw more Amish women or women from this area being more quieter, being less opinionated, yeah. being more kept to themselves. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to try this because I don't know what else to do because I can't actually change the person that I am. Yes. And after a while, that got really tiring. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think even, like, for Matt, it took a while for him to, like, recognize, like, hey, like, when I step into these situations where we are maybe surrounded by a lot of your family or a lot of people that are just from this area that know you, I, like, take on the specific persona and I try to stuff down those parts of my personality that are more loud, opinionated, that are just more, like, full of life. Like, even just, like, wearing a head wrap in public, that's something I never would have done, like, a year or two ago, because that wouldn't have gone with the uniform that I've put on of, like, oh, no, like... I can belong in a conservative community and not wear bright colors Mm -hmm. and not wear, Mm -hmm. you know, the traditional African patterns that I love. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking for you. I don't wear traditional African patterns. (laughs) I know what you mean, though. But it has been difficult, and I think it's been more eye-opening as, like, my sister came to Off the Wall, and my friend Ruth, who's Ethiopian, came to Off the Wall, and they were like, how are you living here? Like, how are you doing this? Especially after we were married. And I remember thinking, like, oh, well, it's not that bad. But then, like, really realizing a lot of it I just had stuffed down, like, the really hard parts I just stuffed down because I'm like, we don't have time to talk about this or... I don't want my husband to feel like he's brought me into something that we don't know how to handle, like situations like that. And so... And you love him. Yes. So you were trying to make the situation as safe and navigable as possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you love him. Yes. Because you wanted to be with him. So you were willing to Mm -hmm. say, okay, the other things I can set aside because he's important enough to me. Yeah. Yeah basically. And I would ask, um, my friend Lisa, who grew up Amish, she was my, uh, roommate, um, my second year of off the wall. And I would just ask her about all these customs and cultures. And I remember like mentally just taking notes, like, okay, next time I'll do this instead of that. So people won't stare at me as much. Next time I'll do this. Next time I'll walk into the kitchen full of Dutch speaking women and just brave the fire basically. Cause I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're saying. I didn't know there was all these expectations that were there but, like, nobody was really saying that yeah. ever. So it's been interesting to see things from the outside in. And even just, like, last night we, like, went to Dairy Queen to get some ice cream. And there's a bunch of people sitting outside. And we just get stared at all the time. Because people assume that, first of all, like, interracial relationships do not happen in this area. And even more so, they assume that Matt is not even Amish. Because they would never think an Amish man would marry a black woman, yeah. basically. And so people just say things about us in Dutch, like, as if oh, we can't understand. Oh, because they assume you don't understand Dutch. Yes. And they assume Matt 
definitely couldn't understand Dutch. Yeah. Right? So which like, Matt obviously speaks fluent Dutch, and you understand some too. Yeah. 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 So it's oh. just <laughs> it's interesting because you can't just like have a meltdown in Walmart, you know? Right. You because you your... hear people saying things about you. Yeah. Yeah. Quote unquote behind your back, but really they're right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's hard, too, because as a white woman, I don't understand Dutch. Mm. But I uh, used to be a waitress. I was a waitress for a couple of years in Berlin, in Amish country. Mm-hmm. And I had tables that would speak Dutch to each other. They would have conversations. Yeah. Because yeah. that was their first language. Yeah. But I more than one time had tables who, when I would come up to the table to take their order, mm-hmm. they would obviously speak to me in English, but they would just almost say, like, a disclaimer hey, we want you to know we're not talking about you behind your back. Like, Mm. we want to just let you know that's Mm. not something that we're going to do. We want you to feel safe with us. And we know that you don't understand Dutch, Mm. so we're just communicating this to you so that you are comfortable. Yeah. Wow. And I was really thankful for that. Mm. But, like, Dutch has never been weaponized against me Mm -hmm. in the way that it has been weaponized against you. Yeah, yeah. It's been a really interesting experience. And so, like, there was a family Christmas event, and one of Matt's cousins, she's, like, my favorite. Uh, well, not my favorite, I should say, but I really enjoy her. You I really remember, get along well with yes, her. Yes. I was walking into a conversation, and she was speaking Dutch with another one of her cousins. And as soon as I walked up, she just immediately switched to English and just was like, yeah, like, Inga's here. She doesn't know Dutch. Yeah. Like, let's just We're going to be inclusive. Yeah. Yes. And that's not something that happens often because, like, growing up around, like, Swahili, but also, like, other African cultures, I'm, like, I'm not, I am not bothered by people speaking their mother tongue, like, yeah. around me. Because it's just, like, that's just what you're comfortable with, and that's totally fine. But I think it's different when I'm coming into a situation where everybody knows Dutch, and everybody knows what they're saying, and everybody knows these really random norms, like that I just wouldn't understand and coming into that situation being like, okay, well now I'm going to just like not be anxious and just throw myself in there with like so much gusto. And that just takes a lot of emotional work. And so it's just like, I can only handle those situations for so long. Do you feel like part of your experience marrying into an Amish family, having a language barrier, do you feel like you've experienced racism in your own family? I would say yes. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think for a long time I didn't want to call it for what it was because it almost felt like maybe like demonizing or reflecting on their character, but I don't think that's essentially like true. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of ignorance. Like they've never learned or experienced what life is like to be the minority. Um, because like I tell Matt all the time, like I may have grown up around like African people, but, like, Kenyan culture was not part of the economy. Yeah. Because, like, Amish culture is dominant in this area. Yes. And so, like, speaking Dutch and being Amish or even just being Mennonite, you already have such an understanding of how this world works around you, but it's, like, all the same kind of people. Yeah. Um, and so there have definitely been moments where comments, moments where comments have been made, um, and I just didn't really know what to say and how to react because I'm like, well, I'm the only person that's going to say something because it doesn't even necessarily need to be like something racist about a black person. It can be about another race and I can recognize that and still have empathy for, I'm like, well, if that kid runs into a person of that, oops, sorry, of that um, 
of that race or that ethnic group and they say that, that's going to hurt that person. Yeah. And I want better for, especially like, I don't know, like my nieces and nephews. I, I feel burdened with the task of educating and so many people because I'm like, I feel like God is like, you need to say, like, I didn't just put you here just because, <laughs> like, just so you could suffer, but because you have something to give. And like, while I also have things to learn from their family and there are really good parts of Amish culture, there is just so much that is not um, addressed. And so there's a lot, I feel like, <laughs> that I could definitely unpack there. Um, but I think one of the hardest parts for me, and like, this is really hard for me to talk about because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they hear this? <laughs> That's what's running in the background of my mind. Um, was, so we, Matt was going to propose to me, right? And he was um, using a lawnmower to lawnmow marry me into his brother's field, you know, as he does. <laughs> as people do, right? right. That's a normal <laughs> yeah, sort you know. of thing. So yeah. um, uh, it was taking a while for us to get engaged because all of these cultural things on my side with my mom. And then, like, Matt's parents didn't know that we were getting engaged. They didn't know he was going to propose. And so there were neighbors who were Amish living right down this field, like at the bottom. And they had to keep using their driveway to get up in there because they hadn't yet paved a driveway. And so these neighbors found out what Matt was doing, and that got back to Matt's parents. And so when Matt went to his parents to ask if they could borrow their lawnmower, because something happened with the lawnmower he was using, they said no, because they knew what it was for. They knew that it was proposing to me, who was a black woman, and so... It's hard because uh, most of the time during these conversations, I think Matt had a hard time not defending his parents. And so being like, well, they do love you and they do like you. And I'm like, okay, but if you want to love me, you need to take all parts of me exactly as I am. Not the version of me that speaks Dutch fluently. Not the version of me that never dances anymore. Not the version of me that never wears bright colored clothing or big earrings or is loud, you know, so... That was probably the hardest for me because there is this feeling of almost feeling ostracized because I'm the only black person. So if there's going to be a black joke, obviously it's going to be about me. Like, And so moments where I've just felt like there is no way that I can stand up for myself and like come out of this unscathed or like if someone would just say something really, really ignorant and... Like, they get a pass because it's like, well, that's just how they are. And I'm like, but I'm going to, am I going to spend the rest of my life making them comfortable? Like, making, like, asking their kids, like, why would you say that? Why would you say this? You know what I mean? And so a lot of times, like, things might get said, like, especially by the kids and, like, the adults may not hear, but, like, I always hear. And I just, it just, like, cements in my brain. I'm like, what am I going to do <laughs> about this? Like, because I don't want to bring our kids into a situation where I have to, prepare them every right. time they right. want to go spend time with their family. Right. Like, because you are a black woman and you will have black babies. Yes. 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 And so for you, you almost have this burden mm -hmm. of having to condition your children and your family mm -hmm. to make it a safe environment for your own children within the context of their own family. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Woo. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> I feel like Matt and I are just really getting into the beginnings of what it looks like. I think especially for Matt to have to call things out for what they are. Because there is this huge, like, 
conservatism, republicanism, like, belief, even though, in my, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of things that are lacking in the understanding of how these political parties work, especially for Amish people yes. who have not who had... Who don't traditionally vote. Yes. Who don't traditionally participate in the electoral system. Yes. There is this idea that the Republican Party is the Christian party. Yes, yeah. And so, therefore, <clears throat> we align ourselves with that party. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have an understanding of the larger political context. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously not all Amish people. Yeah, yeah. But the Amish culture does not, on the whole, engage with politics. Oh, yeah. For religious reasons. Yes, And so they are just attempting to do the most Christ-like thing. Mm -hmm. They have good intentions, Mm -hmm. but they are maybe misaligning themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that's been just tricky figuring out, like, what situations are we going to speak up and what what is that going to look like and so right now for us it's a lot of regrouping Matt and I figuring out okay like if this happens what are we going to say what are we going to do is it okay for me to just be able to walk out of the room because sometimes it's just too much like I can't like ignore racist comments and then just like pass the mashed potatoes all the time but also like I shouldn't be expected to so I feel like this summer I kind of hit this spot where like all of that armor all of that that uniform, I feel like kind of a, that disguise that I was putting on is just completely gone. And yeah. I don't know how or why. <laughs> I feel like God was just like, no more of this, basically. And so I feel very raw and very, like, sensitive, <laughs> which is like, I'm already a sensitive person. But, like... Does it feel heavy to you mm-hmm. that the burden of explaining racism is all on you? Yeah. It's very heavy. Because... Even just explaining it to Matt, who is, by nature, compassionate and loving and kind, um, has been difficult. And so I think of, like, explaining it to his family, like, explaining it to, like, our 14-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old nieces. Like, when you say this, this is how it makes someone feel, and this is why there's all these things, you know, that go behind it, you know, like, having people that in Matt's family, maybe even, like, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpas, who don't really understand, like, oh, like, you can't say the N-word. I don't care if it's in English or if it's in Dutch. It's not okay. Right. But it's, like, a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very exhausting, because first and foremost, Matt is my, he's my person, you know, he's my main squeeze. Right. And so, he's the person that I want to educate the most gently, the most compassionately, first and foremost, because... He will then be able to speak to his family in a way that right. I just can't, especially right. as a woman. I just can't. Right. I'm supposed to just always align with my husband, and that's just not how we have ever worked and functioned. Yeah. I mean, we have a yeah. rule in our marriage. Blood deals with blood. Yeah, yeah. So I have the hard conversations with my parents. Eli has the hard conversations with his. Mm. Not because I don't <clears throat> absolutely love Eli's parents. I do. And mm-hmm. I am so lucky. I feel like I have the best in-laws in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, especially because we've only been married for three years. You guys have only been married for a year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. When you are the newcomer to the family, mm-hmm. it can kind of feel like it's a hard to have that conversation with your in-laws. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think especially so in those situations that are, like, matter so much to you. Yes. Where it's like, okay, like, this, this cannot... <laughs> 
this could not go on. But even just, like, you know, like, the task of addressing some of these things, I would have to, like, sit down and give, like, a history lesson. Which right. I'm like, I can't give that unless you're also willing to, to hear me. Yeah. Because yes. there are just certain people in this family, like, they just want to be right. And that's it. Like, they just want to be the right person. Like, I could say anything and it would just be like, well, actually, this is this way. I'm like, well, it's not. <laughs> so... I think it's so hard when that is the perspective that someone is coming from. And I think that is part of why I wanted to have you come and talk with us, Inga, Mm -hmm. is because I think you cannot discredit someone's personal lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is, you can dispute facts and figures and statistics and all of that all day long. Mm -hmm. But if you tell me that hurt my feelings... Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you, no, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. And if I try, Mm. that is unlike Christ. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And so I think for us, for me, because I know I have so much to learn from you and from your experience, like, Mm. I am thankful that you're willing to come and share it with us. And I hope that the people who are listening to this podcast are able to listen to it and sit under it in a way that they absorb what you're saying your experience has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. It is something where it is difficult because I think even just growing up as a black person in the church, because um, the church that I grew up in was also pretty conservative, to be quite honest. Um, it wouldn't be like too far different from most of the churches here, in my opinion. Um, I see, like, people running to the aid of, like, let's say, like, mission trips, missionary work. Yes. Which I think is completely 100% valid. Absolutely. But I'm like, if we can show up for these people that we don't know, we don't have any personal connection with, we can sponsor them, we can feed them, we can clothe them, we can listen to their stories and weep and mourn with them. Why can we not do that for the people of, like, color that are here, too? Absolutely. Like, I think, I'm going to use an example of something that's been really uh, profound to me. Um... I think that human trafficking and the sexual abuse of children and that whole, like, machine of human trafficking for work and for sexual abuse and Mm. all of that is one of the most pressing issues in our world today. Yes. Yeah. And so Mm. I can support organizations that are working to dismantle the system that is in place that allows for human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I can advocate for organizations that are anti-human trafficking organizations. But most of them are working overseas, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I support organizations that are anti-human trafficking organizations in India. I listen to those stories. I mourn over, you know, the stories of these women and children and men who are being taken advantage of for someone else's gain. Yeah, yeah. And I think we all should. Mm -hmm. But it's almost, in our Christian bubble, easier to mourn over the stories of strangers on the other side of the world, which I still think we should, Mm -hmm. than it is to accept that there's injustice and oppression in our midst, even in ourselves, like even in myself, Mm -hmm. that is oppressing my brothers and sisters right here in my community. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is really hard because I think it makes us uncomfortable. And for a person that's basically been uncomfortable, 
<laughs> most of my life, I'm like, this is okay. Like, you will, you will get used to it. You will work through it. Um, and that's just something I wish more people really understood because growing up in a predominantly white church, but also just in American churches, um, I noticed that there's this weird this weird thing that I feel like a lot of like Bible believing Christian adults told me, especially like growing up is like, well, you just got to let that stuff roll off your back. Don't pay them any attention. Just ignore it. You know what I mean? And I just remember feeling like, well, that's not helpful. (laughs) That's not helpful at all. Right. And Um, and we do know that the Bible does teach us mm -hmm. turn the other cheek in the face of Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when someone sins against you, turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. But when that, Jesus didn't say that, because he was perpetuating oppressive systems. Yes. Jesus said that because when I as an individual am sinned against, I need to forgive. Yes. Yes. But we also believe that the Bible is the thing that taught us how to dismantle slavery. Yes. Yeah. And so that verse was weaponized against people of color who were enslaved, who were just told, turn the other cheek. Let mm-hmm. people abuse you. Let people hurt you because mm-hmm. that's what Jesus wants you to do. Yes. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so we can't weaponize forgiveness. Yeah. We can't say, Inga, you are responsible for get, for forgiving every racist thing against you and never bringing it up. Yeah, yeah. Because forgiveness isn't a pass. Mm. Like, isn't grace doesn't give us the opportunity to sin again. Yes. Like, yeah. Paul talks about this, that Jesus didn't die on the cross Jesus doesn't pour grace out on us that we should go on sinning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He says, by no means. Mm -hmm. And so when we have things done against us, yes, we can forgive. Yes, we can turn the other cheek. That doesn't mean we need to perpetuate the oppressive system that continually lets it happen. Yes. Yeah. That is 100% true. And so I think like, when I think of the things that I say now and when I speak up now, like from my platform, which is like my verbal voice and like on my social media and things, I'm like, it's, it's more so for those little kids of color that are out there Yeah. because I'm like, they are just going to grow up thinking that this is okay. And people can just like be prejudiced and be ignorant and be racist towards them. And this is just their world. Because I remember thinking that and like being like, there's something I can do. Like, if I show up for a job interview and they go, oh, we didn't know you were black. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't sound black over the phone. I'm like, well, I am. Or showing up to people's Christmas or dinner parties. And they're like, hey, so I didn't tell my family that you were black because, insert racist, uh, family member. And I'm like, okay, so I just need to make sure I'm The like, least amount of black possible? Yes. Or somehow, something? Yeah, make myself <laughs> less black or like... A lot of things, a lot of the times people would tell, like, me and my siblings because we were raised in a single-parent home, and so that already comes with a lot of stigma Mm -hmm. um, and judgment there, but, like, oh, well, you guys are one of the good ones, which I don't know what the heck that means. Right. Um, But I just remember, like, having that on top of, like, oh, we're black in a predominantly white area, and people assume certain things about the music we listen to, the people that we are, the character that we have, like, the way that elderly white women stare at me (laughs) in the store is a very aggressive sometimes like situations like these I'm like I don't ever want like kids that are growing up in this situation to think that it's normal because I hear stories of like even just the 
like the black and brown like kids that have grown up in this area being mm-hmm. adopted into this area and their stories are heartbreaking and they just sound defeated. It's yeah. like why bother if yeah. I've already been like pushed down? Like why? Like what can I even do? Yeah. And I'm just like that should just we should not be okay with that. Yeah, I mean you know? I think that we've talked about even before on this podcast that the stories that we exist within mm. are really impactful. Yeah. And so yeah. if the stories that even within this like rural conservative area, the story is that, you know, black people are a problem or yeah. that yeah. they are prone to steal or that yes. all these different things that I've heard people say, oh, it's just in their nature to do that. Yep. Which is not true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not true at all. But if that's the story that is being mm-hmm. poured out over you. Yeah. That is such a defeating thing Mm. to hear. Mm -hmm. Like, because if I grew up my whole life hearing, you are stupid, Mm -hmm. I would never have the internal capacity to succeed past that. Mm -hmm. Because we, we live in these stories until I broke out of that story, until I recognized that it was a lie, that Mm -hmm. I'm not stupid. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to to grow past that. Yes. And so when we raise like our black and brown brothers and sisters in these oppressive stories Mm -hmm. about these ideas about that their race makes them like lazy Mm -hmm. or that the color of their skin means they won't succeed Mm -hmm. or anything like that, that is fundamentally suppressing those children. Yes. Because they can't, grow past that story until they recognize it's a lie. Mm -hmm. But people really believe that. People really believe that black people are just lazy or that black people, like, most most black deaths are black on black crime. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And they use those statements to, to be hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And I think even just, like, all of the stereotypes and things that go along with it, it's just, it's difficult because I think, like, it's like, yeah, like, we're in the same school or we're in the same churches, like, as me and, like, the white people that are around me, but we're not coming up against the same prejudices. Absolutely. You know? And so, like, hearing these things, you grow up and, like, there are other people who mean well that are like, well, don't listen to them because you can be anything you want. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to have to work 10 times as hard to get exactly what you got at the same, like at at the same level. So I would always get very upset when people would be like, well, why do we need scholarships for just black children? Like that's racist. I'm like, well, maybe it's because they didn't have a chance to get the scholarships you're getting. Right. And simply because they're black. Like, let's be honest. Like, when people see Cheryl and they see Shaniqua, guess who's getting chosen? Right. Probably Cheryl. Because they're assuming certain things about that person's character just from the name they've been given right Absolutely. off the bat. Absolutely. <sighs> and it's because we live in these stories. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think, uh, Inga, one of the things that you've talked about, too, is that like growing up in the social media age, mm-hmm. you have been exposed to... Like, from... Being from a, like your childhood, and, and so have I, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like these black and brown videos of death. Yeah. yeah. So I remember when 
Trayvon Martin when that was all in the news. Mm -hmm. And now with social media, I remember when the death of Eric Gardner was being circulated on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I remember when the death of Tamir Rice was being circulated on the internet. Even if it Mm -hmm. wasn't like the video of him dying, when that was the predominant news story. Mm -hmm. What has it been like for you living in that, in the midst of that, growing up in the midst of that, navigating... Mm -hmm. You know, becoming an adult in the midst of this media storm of death mm. of of people who look like you. Ooh, um, I'm sorry if that's like a really loaded. <laughs> I know that it's a really loaded question, but I don't think that my I I don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. I don't go on Facebook and have to be afraid that I'm gonna see a white woman being shot and killed. Mm-hmm. As I'm just like scrolling through pictures of my friends' dogs and yep. cute kids, I, I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to see someone who looks just like me being murdered mm-hmm. on my computer screen. I think it really, um, like the first, like, like going all the way back to Trayvon Martin, I remember like reading about that and just like seeing all these things and being like, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible, but also just like not seeing a lot of people that were not of color saying anything um and even so like all of these situations like well did he do this did he do that did he look like this whatever um and I remember like there's still being protests and things but like not to the magnitude that there is now but I just continually seeing these over and over again because like you know Facebook started doing those things or Instagram where they would cover a video right Mm, if it was too graphic but Seldom ever were these videos of police brutality against black and brown people ever covered. I would, like, uncover something, and it would usually be, like, some sort of animal abuse. And, like, that's horrible. I don't want to see that either. No, right. You know? But, Um, like, as a doula, I um, follow lots of, like, birth, like, resource pages. Yes. And often childbirth will be covered up because it's, quote, unquote, too graphic. Yes. But we're covering up these graphic images of children being born, but we're not covering up these graphic images of men being killed. Yes, yes. Um, And I think the one that, I think the last video I watched where I was like, okay, I know what this is going to be, probably was the Philando Castile shooting, because just the sound of this woman and this child in the backseat. Yes, because in the case of the Philando Castile shooting, this was a a man, a black man who was pulled over Mm -hmm. in his car. He had Mm -hmm. his fiance in the car with him in the passenger seat. And the four-year-old daughter of Mm -hmm. his fiance was in the backseat. Yep. Yes. And he was shot in the vehicle. And so in my... In my blatant opinion, I'm like, that was wrong. That was horrible. And I think just listening to this child, like, screaming in the background. Because a man is being murdered in front of her eyes. Yes. And she's now a fearing man who for she her loves. mother. Yeah. And she's fearing for, she's fearing for his life because she doesn't really know that he's already dead. And she's fearing for her mother's life. She's fearing for her own life. And I'm just thinking, like, that is a, the kind of trauma that I'm talking about. Like, seeing all of these images in these videos... Like, to me, would be like watching the boy in the striped pajamas over and over and over and over. Just seeing these gruesome pictures that we can't look at for too long, right? Because they start to break our hearts and they start to break us down. Mm -hmm. And, like, at least when I look at something from history that happened a long time ago, I can say, oh, well, that was, like, way back, right? Right. But this is like, oh, this happened yesterday. Right. Um, Because we watch, you know, films like 
like the boy in the striped pajamas, which is mm-hmm. a story of the Holocaust, and we mourned that. We yes. say this was wrong, but we don't have the same emotional response to when we see our black and brown brothers and sisters murdered on our Facebook page. Yeah. And, like, for me, it gets especially hard when I see something like that and people are like, well, what did he comply? Like, did he do that? I'm like, what? I, because whenever I say this, I feel like people are like, well, do you just, like, not like police officers? Do you hate all cops? I'm like, no, of course not. Like, right. I have people that I know that are police officers. But if I knew 100% they were always going to be the one to pull me over, I would never fear right. a moment right. in my life again. Right, and I'm with you. Like, I'm not anti-cop. Yeah. Not I'm at like, all. Like, my dad was a cop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I'm okay with police brutality. Yeah, I'm like, not okay with that. No Definitely. one is okay with police brutality. Yes. And so, I think leading all the way up to just, like... <laughs> The anxiety really builds, to be honest. Because when you're a child and you see something like that, you don't really know how to make sense of it. And, like, when I say child, I mean, like, 11 years old. Because, like, that's still a child, you know? Um, Not old enough to be able to process this. So as we got older and older, like, you know, like... And then the Black Lives Matter organization surfaced. But even that, so much pushback. Because I'm like, now that it's, like, an actual organization, then it's really a a problem for a lot of people. Because they're like, this is not the way you should do it. It should be... This that way, that way, you know, we love to bring up those pictures of like Martin Luther King Jr., right? And forgetting And he like was... yeah, and he, you know, marched across uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge mm-hmm. in his Sunday best. Yep, yep. And arm in arm and all of these like positive images of quote unquote peaceful protesting. Mm-hmm. But we are not as quick to share the police brutality that occurred in response to those peaceful protests. Yes. Because those were the same protests where police officers released dogs mm-hmm. and were using fire hoses and we're using batons Mm -hmm. to beat and attack those peaceful protesters in their Sunday best. Yep. So like, does it really, does it really matter? Um, Like there isn't a correct way to protest because when you are protesting, you are trying to usurp the establishment. Mm -hmm. So what is established is wrong. So when we are protesting, we are trying to undo the wrong, Mm -hmm. but because the establishment is the thing that holds the power, they are never going to find, it's never going to be acceptable. The way that you're trying to dismantle the establishment, Mm -hmm. the establishment will never find acceptable. Yes. Because it wants to continue in its own way. Yes. So there is never Mm -hmm. going to be a quote-unquote correct way to protest, Mm -hmm. because it was not the correct way to protest when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Mm -hmm. That was peaceful. That was peaceful, Mm -hmm. but he lost his job. Yes. He was, like, slandered across the internet and news media, Mm -hmm. but that was peaceful, but it was still not the correct way to protest. Mm -hmm. And then when Nike supported him, people just started burning all their Nike stuff or throwing it away, and I'm like... I see very little difference between that and the the rioting and looting that people are complaining of now. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, I don't know when, because we like, I feel like anger is an emotion like in the Christian community that's not okay. Like is highly demonized or just like questionable. Like if it's all right, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like when I say I'm like, oh, this makes me angry. Like this makes me feel hurt. This makes me feel like 
no one cares. Because to see these videos of people being killed or brutally beaten and then just to see nothing happened is just like, what? Like, what? Like, the evidence is right here. It all happened. And there's just so many excuses. And so, like, even just, like, now, like, I see these videos and I think of, like, these basic nursing skills I'm being taught on how to take care of or deal with combative patients, especially like, you know, mostly in psychiatric settings. But like rule number one, you never put a patient face down because they're not going to be able to breathe. Like this is basic, basic stuff. And just like, I just don't understand how like these things don't apply. Like when I see those videos, I'm like, how do these basic life giving measures? Because to know how to save someone's life is also to know how to take it because Mm -hmm. you know what's going to take it and what's going to save it. And so when I see the videos of police brutality, I'm like, do these people really care about this person that they're arresting? Because, like, I remember seeing, I don't even know what it was. I think I was going to show, like, Matt the article for, like, George Floyd's murder. Because I'm like, I don't want to watch the video because I know it will absolutely kill me. <laughs> and I'm like, that was just kind of the last thing. I'm like, I don't even want to see it because I know I will not sleep. I know that I will be very upset. Um... And so I just opened up my phone, and instead of, like, the article being the first thing on my news feed, it was just this woman who was, like, I shouldn't even say woman. It was, like, a child, basically, who was, like, 14 years old, and she was so small, and she was just getting the life beat out of her by this police officer that was probably double her size. And I was just, like, (laughs) just over it because I'm, like, I cannot see this anymore. I just cannot. I cannot see it anymore because I'm, like, it's been, like, what, 10 years? And I'm, like, we're still looking at the same things and still making the same excuses because I'm like when you say like things like black lives matter people are like oh do none of the other lives matter do cops lives not matter I'm like obviously that's not what I said (laughs) like because we affirm yes all human beings are created in the image of God Mm -hmm. are significant are important are Mm -hmm. valuable beautiful Mm -hmm. and made in the image of God we are image bearers yes And so we are not saying that the lives of cops don't matter. Cops are image bearers. Yes. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. children are image bearers. Mm -hmm. White people are image bearers. Mm -hmm. But black people are image bearers who are being systematically oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so when we say black lives matter, we are saying all lives matter. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But right now, these are the lives that are being hurt. Yes. And so these are the lives that we need to stand up and defend. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like something that I get a lot of like pushback sometimes. Well, I see a lot of pushback, I should say. And people that are in the pro-life movement are often like, well, if they really cared about black lives, they would say something about these abortion rates amongst black people. And I'm like, okay, but these black babies in utero, in the womb, they turn into black children Mm -hmm. and black adults. Mm -hmm. I was a black baby Mm -hmm. (laughs) once. Like, I was a black child, and I'm a black adult, and I'm seeing you not advocating for these children. You were not doing anything. I'm like... And when we say, if black lives mattered, then we would reduce abortion rates, Mm -hmm. we are reducing the abortion rates to, well, black women are just choosing to murder their babies. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, black women undergo abortions at a higher rate because there are much higher levels of poverty. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. know that in white communities with high poverty levels, the mm-hmm. abortion rates are much, much higher. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we know that black women undergo abortions at a higher rate because there is less family stability. Mm -hmm. And we know that that is because one in four, one in three adult black men will be incarcerated. So we know that uh, black women undergo mm -hmm. abortions at higher rates because their neighborhoods are often less safe. Mm -hmm. And we know that that is because of neighborhood redlining. We know that is because of judicial policies that have mm -hmm. put black people in economic disadvantages. Yes. And so when we say things like, well, if black lives mattered, we'd have less black abortions, mm -hmm. we ignore the white aggression that mm -hmm. has created an environment that makes the black abortion rate so high. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because yes, I would love to see less abortions, but the way that we reduce the amount of abortions that happen is by changing the policies, changing the environments, mm -hmm. changing the family structure to make it safer for children to be born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. I don't think that gets talked about often enough. Because, like, even, like, like, a lot of... There are a lot of black women that are single moms. Like, Absolutely. a lot. You know? And that also adds a lot of stress and pressure onto them. But, like, what happens when we see them using, like, the SNAP cards or, like, you know, like, things like that? Like, the government benefits, like, they get side-eyed. They get belittled. They get judged. So, like, what what do you want her to do? Like, right. she has to feed her children. When she works two jobs but she's not sitting at home with her kids all day, it's like, well, if you really cared about your children, you'd be home with them. Like, right. So, I'm like, so these black children get born, but, like, also, like... They suffer. Yeah. And I'm like, where does the church come in yeah. to that? Yeah. Because it's not so much just whitewashing their version of Christianity. Right. Right? Right. Let them come in and dress how they want, appropriately, you know, but dress how they want. Do not take away all of their music. Do not tell them they need to speak differently. Let them listen to Lecrae. They don't have to listen to Chris Tomlin. Like, you know right. what I mean? Let them embrace their blackness because, like, Christianity has been so severely whitewashed that, yeah. like... But you don't need you know? to be white to be a Christian. Yes. Because, mm -hmm. and maybe this will come as a surprise, <clears throat> Jesus wasn't white. True. I don't know why he's depicted as white all the time. Because I'm like, um, like, what? <laughs> Jesus wasn't white. The early church fathers were not white. Mm -hmm. None of the disciples were white. Mm -hmm. St. Augustine was not white. Mm -hmm. Like, the, some of the most formative voices in our Christian history were not white. This is a, a movement, mm -hmm. a relationship with a God who came born as a brown baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he was supposed to look like everybody else. If Jesus had born a European man with soft, wavy brown hair and blue eyes, he would have stuck out like a sore thumb. They would have right. been like, who the heck is this? Right. Like, right. You know, and he might have even been idolized because if he was different and not persecuted, not beaten, right. and not hung on a cross. Right. So I think it would have been totally different. But I definitely think that's so important because growing up black kid, you never see pictures of Jesus looking anything else than standard European. Right. Like beauty standards. Right. And it's just like... Jesus, the image of Jesus feels so far away right. because you're like, I can't understand how we are the same, right. how we have suffered the same. And you know that Jesus did suffer, but it's like, there's just big disconnect in yeah. all of these bridges. The bridge to get there is so long and yeah. takes years. And so it's just, it's really 
a tragedy. Because I see why growing up, like, because so the church that I grew up did a lot of outreach. And so, like, the apartments that we grew up in, which, because we grew up in an apartment, because that was what my mom could afford. Right. And um, they weren't the best place to live. So, like, back then, they were kind of considered, like, the ghetto area. Right. But that's something that, like, I was aware of as a child, but, like, not really, because you're a kid. Right. Um, and so I noticed, like, as I got older, less and less of the kids that I'd grown up with in that area would come because of a lot of the stigma, a lot of the backlash. Yeah. Even, like, their parents. Like, okay, like, yeah, you can you can be here, but can you please marry your boyfriend? Can you please uh-huh. figure this out? Can you please, like not have kids without being like you know what I mean like there's all of these stipulations because you have to fit into this certain culture it wasn't even necessarily my church they were leaving but just most churches yeah and so I'm like that's what you start to grow up and realize like okay I'm gonna have to be this certain way in these certain environments and then when I come home I can be myself truly yeah and so like if someone hears me listening to rap music they're not gonna be like oh my gosh are you saved like you know what I mean like that like situation and just like there's not enough room for black kids to be themselves in these spaces and I don't think people really realize that yeah because I think like I I guess Inga what I would really love if you would share with us is with everything going on like with you know the history that you have Mm -hmm. you know the growing up that you experienced the culture that you're currently in, in Amish country, the life that you're experiencing, the things that we're seeing in the world around us, like the protest movement and the, like we participated in a prayer vigil. Like Mm -hmm. it was a night of prayer and worship. Mm -hmm. Like for like, and like against police brutality for like affirming the value of our black and brown neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, That was what we gathered to do. Um, what does this all make you feel? (laughs) I think overwhelmed in good ways and bad ways. Um, because in some ways I'm like, okay, finally, like people are talking about racism. Like people in the church are dressing this head on. People are apologizing for being ignorant because like, I myself had made many apologize for being ignorant, for being prejudiced, for being racist. Like, I know how that feels. It feels bad. And it feels good to see that, but it just is also so much more that more painful when you see someone that, in my instance, like, maybe laughs at my Instagram stories, thinks I'm really funny, thinks I'm Mm -hmm. fun to be around, but deliberately posts or says things that are so insensitive and so painful to the core of my being. Um... It's just really painful. So it's just hard because it's amazing, but also I have to take a lot of breaks from social media because I can only handle so much because it, like, actually disrupts my life, (laughs) like, my sleeping patterns because I already have anxiety, so I'm on anxiety medication, but this is, like, just makes it so much worse. Just, like, sleep does not happen. Um, So it's amazing, but it's hard, I think, even, like, when I come down to, like, my personal circle levels. So, like, conversation with Matt's family and, like... Mm -hmm things like that it's hard because it's like everyone is talking about it but then like the people that are really close to me sometimes I feel like not more not my friends more so more so like my in-laws like figuring that out that can be hard because like eh, I have a lot to say um and people can see what I think and feel on my social media but I think for my 
brothers and sisters of color out there, I would just highly recommend finding a space to find your inner peace and be able to sit with God and just tell him about everything that's going on because that's something I've been having to do quite often and like detaching and surrounding yourself with the people that you know love you for who you are and who you always will be and the skin color you can never take off you know and so it's been amazing to see so many people from our church reach out to me and be like hey like I see you I validate you what you're saying is true because this is the only experience I have is what I've lived and so that's been really amazing but I just I just want people to be careful with their words. Like, I know nobody likes to be wrong and nobody likes to be perceived as evil or cruel or mean, but sometimes we have to face the fact that, like, you can't just say, oh, I have black grandkids, I have a black brother-in-law, I have a black cousin, so I can never say these things. Like, I can never be racist or I can never say ignorant things. Right. Like, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist. Yes. Yeah. Like, (laughs) racism isn't as cut and dry as that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm friends with you Mm -hmm. but I still have to deal with in my own heart like sometimes I think like and not ever about you because I know you Mm -hmm. but I know that I have you know driven past someone on the street who was black and Mm -hmm. locked my doors Mm -hmm. off my car just reflexively that's racism in me Mm -hmm. and I have to deal with that Mm -hmm. and I have to deal with it in myself Mm -hmm. and we all have to deal with it in ourselves yeah Everybody has to do the hard work. So I feel like it's really crazy. <laughs> it's just a crazy time. But it also could be phenomenal for what God could do through the church. So I want people to realize, like, this isn't a secular problem, a right. worldly problem. This is our problem. We're the church. If people aren't going to stand up for injustice, we have to be first. You know, I can, like, think of, like, the Black Lives Matter organization as is. And I'm just like, imagine what this would have been like if way back when Trayvon Martin, like, when that happened... Like, if the church had stepped up then. Yeah. It would be so different. Yep. Right? We can't complain about, like, worldly or secular organizations that do what we should have done first. Right. So. Absolutely. (sighs) Yeah. It's been amazing to see that more people care than I thought they cared. And, but also it's been hard to see that some people just only want the comfortable parts of my personality or my life. And not this, like, harder, like pessimistic you know side I guess which isn't really I wouldn't consider myself a pessimist (laughs) I'm pretty optimistic actually but there just comes a time where you have to look at your friend who is different from you that you love and when they say enough is enough just take it for that yeah because that's what love does Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. you just step into the healing right and it's hard. Healing is hard. Healing mm-hmm. is painful. You're in, you're in nursing. <laughs> you know that becoming whole mm-hmm. and healing is hard work. Yeah. But it's yeah. important work that we have to do. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you. You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. You know? Now we just need to get everyone we know to listen to it. Yep. <laughs>
where never kings can connive, nor tyrants scheme that may be crushed by the by one above. It was never America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equally, equality is in the air we breathe. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How you are the body of Christ and individual numbers of it.